Hello, friends. Um, this will be the second episode of the Borderlands podcast. This is your host, Denrock. Today, I've got another one of my family members on uh, by telephone, uh, cell phone, as it were. Uh, he's decided to go vacationing during this COVID outbreak, something that a lot of my family and acquaintances and coworkers have opted out of uh, for the time being. Um, Joe's an interesting character. Um, he comes fourth in a line of five siblings. Um, there's what, I think eight years separating us, six years, something like that. Um, he's a law enforcement officer, father to fine young boys, um, husband to an awesome lady, uh, who's a psychologist and I'd love to have her on the show at some point. Um, but please welcome my brother, Joe Denning. All right, Joe, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. I hope that little intro was acceptable to you. Yeah, it was very nice. Very nice. I enjoyed it. Okay, like I said, Joe's joining us from, um, where have you gone? Down to Florida, correct? Yeah, I'm uh, currently down on Holmes Beach, Florida. It's on the uh, Gulf Coast and uh, Tampa Bay down here. All right, and uh, joining us by uh, cell phone that I've managed to successfully tie into my podcasting equipment here i'm so proud of myself um yeah so um you guys decided to go on vacation uh even in the face of all this stuff that's going on right now as far as travel recommendations um you know pandemic going on i don't think there's an outright travel ban right now but it it certainly makes people take a second guess um and actually think about whether they should travel nowadays but you guys decided to drive um how many hours to your destination? A grand total uh, with uh, filling up with gas and, uh, you know, we ran into a little bit of traffic and uh, some heavy rain, uh, but grand total was about 16 and a half hours. Okay. How many miles was that? Uh, I think it's right around uh, 930, 950 miles, I think. Yeah. And that is, um, there is a direct flight from our hometown to a nearby uh, airport correct that takes i think like 90 minutes 90 plus minutes <laughs> so just for uh, comparison yeah, there, there is um so did, i'm assuming that you and your family felt safer driving rather than hopping on an airplane with uh, 80 or 90 other people maybe or maybe not wearing masks and you felt safer driving down there you know we we did safer driving down uh however it's it, it's odd several years ago and uh, when we had to end up paying for both boys to fly so we had to pay for all four of us um during the summer months at least it was a lot more uh, economical friendly for us to drive down instead of paying you know 120 dollars per person and then paying you know 60 dollars for two checked bags it was just see yeah, it made more money sense to drive down. Oh yeah. Uh, and so we, we decided, you know, if all four of us would go down and we couldn't get a really, really good deal on a flight, which you can right now, because not that many people are flying, but due to COVID, yeah. we did, we really did decide that we would drive that way, you know, get mask up when we have to get gas. Uh, I was able to procure a whole bunch of hand sanitizer and some wipes from work. 
So after each time we got gas, you know, everybody wiped their hands down. I wiped the gas nozzle down and, you know, we hand sanitized and we just thought that was a little bit safer than trying to get on an airplane with who knows who may have what. Oh, awesome. So, so you saved money doing this way, um, as well as being less in contact with other humans. Yeah. And I, I remember, so I've made the trip down to that same spot just one time before. And of course I only had one travel companion, the woman who's now my wife. Um, and we went down there on the cheap, man. Like the, um, I think the airfare one way was $49. That's a hundred dollars each round trip. And, um, I think we checked just one giant bag for maybe another 50 bucks each way. And you know, it's, it's amazing right now. I mean, I continue to get emails from Allegiant, like up until I think it was three weeks ago. Clearly, depending upon what day you flew down, you could still get a flight from Huntington down to St. Pete Airport for, I think it was $34 away. So, I mean, you're talking $68 yeah. per person, and then you got to check a bag. I mean, it, 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 clearly, we could have we could have done that and saved money, but yet again, mm-hmm. as I said, this our you know, our contacts are slightly more limited this way. Yeah. That's good stuff. Now I remember you telling us, uh, before you left on this trip, before you embarked that, uh, you submitted a travel plan or an itinerary, um, to our local, uh, County, uh, health department. Is that correct? Um, I work at the Huntington Police Department, as you were telling everybody that I'm in law enforcement. And uh, it's not that the city wasn't going to let anyone go on vacation that they'd already planned. But if they got COVID, they the health department kind of wanted to be able to contact trace everything and find out where you may have gotten it, whether it was in the city. So if you went out of town, they just asked, hey, can you let us know where you're going where you might stop, you know, like if you were going to Disney World, hey, I'm going to go to Orlando, I plan on going to Disney or, you know, Magic Kingdom, Epcot. So what I did is I just told them, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to Holmes Beach, Florida. I gave them the exact address down here. Uh, clearly, I didn't know exactly where I was going to stop to get gas. So I told them, you know, yeah. I, I had to stop and get fuel, told them which, which one of the two ways I was going to take. And we ended up going through Tennessee. I think that way is a little bit easier going through Kentucky, through Tennessee, through Georgia, and then Florida. Oh, so that's a, um, that's then, a straight yeah. north-south um, route, and it's very few interchanges that way, I think. Yeah, honestly, I've, I've been the other way through uh, North Carolina before, mm-hmm. uh, once or twice, and that, that's still, it's, it's not a bad trip, but uh, at Jacksonville, uh, you get off, I believe it's on a uh, US 301 and it's a lot like route 60 through Barbersville and Milton where, you know, there's a whole bunch of local law enforcement agencies enforcing different speed limits. Yeah. And I just think it's easier. You take I 64 all the way down to 75 at Lexington and you just take I 75 all the way down. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's one road, pretty straightforward. Yeah. So, um, I remember when you first told us that you submitted this travel itinerary, I have to admit the first thing that struck me was like, Oh my gosh, that is so intrusive into one's life. Like why on earth would you do that, Joe? And, um, I remember I asked you for clarification. I thought like, or the, is this an approval process? But then you'd mentioned, yeah, this is just for contact tracing. Um, and when you said that, 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 that made sense with me. I was on board with that. But then I thought, well, couldn't you just as easily have done that when you got back, like just detail 
all the stops you made and, and where you ate dinner and, and what sites you went to see and whatnot. Um, but I think either way, that's, it's probably smart, um, smart data to collect. And, you know, if, if everyone's going to be honest with themselves, um, I think the contract contact tracing is, is very important when you're faced with a very infectious agent and a, a, a pandemic that's spreading really with no control that I can tell. I mean, I think we thought we had this contained, but no, it's, it's not. So, um, did, did you have any hesitations providing? I mean, did you have any thoughts like I had? Hey, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the world's biggest fan of telling them everywhere I was going to go. I, I mean, to be completely and totally honest, but you know, in, in looking back at it, I, I was, you know, I, I was, I was a smart ass in, in my letter. I mean, I, I sent it out to you and all our other brothers. You know, I gave exact, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gave exact addresses of where I was going. But in, in looking back on it, like originally, you know, the, the, the plan was for the city of Huntington is if you went to one of the quote unquote hot spots, which at this point in time, it's, you know, Florida, North Carolina, or I'm sorry, South Carolina, Tennessee, and uh, I think Georgia was right there on the line. Like whether, you know, you, even if you drove through it, according to the Campbell Huntington Health Department, they were going to force you to take a two-week quarantine before you came back to work. Oh, now see, that's asinine. And, that, and I don't even know what well, it, what basis does that well, he, have. I don't. Yeah, go on. Well, he, he, here was here was the interesting thing because I was I was potentially getting to go on vacation, and you know we'd planned this back in last December, and you know we we changed our big family vacation with you know all the brothers and the and our dad and everybody. We changed that. So we, you know, we schedule essentially scheduled this last December when I had to schedule my vacation. Yeah. And uh, so, but I guess their their thinking was, and and I sent an email out to our chief of police and said, hey, you know, not not to not to be a jackass, but like, how if I have to take two weeks of quarantine, what time bank does this come out of? Like, does it come out of my holidays? Does it come out of my vacation? Does it come out of my sick time? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of uh, logistic, uh, logistical concerns about that. Yeah, go ahead. And and what happened was, is with, uh, with the cares act that uh, Congress passed Mm -hmm. the city of Huntington. If, if I were to get COVID, uh, then I would be given, 80 hours of what they refer to as COVID time. COVID it doesn't time. come out of my sick. Well, yeah, it doesn't come out of my sick time. It doesn't come out, but it's only 80 hours and you can only take it once mm-hmm. is the way that it was explained to me. So if I were to go out of town and I took this COVID time, but then three months later, I got, I actually got COVID, then I would have to use my own sick time. I see. Yeah. But then they, and, and they quickly realized with, you know, and it's a big vacation time in the city of Huntington. They quickly realized that within three weeks, essentially every single shift at the Huntington Police Department would be paying overtime. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and not and not just one or two guys, but you would pay four or five, you know, maybe an entire shift would be out. Yeah, right. So I, I guess what happened was the health department and the city of Huntington kind of looked at it a little bit deeper 
and realized that the uh, CDC or the Centers of Disease Control said, hey, you know, these are our recommendations. However, if you're a first responder, we have other recommendations. So upon my arrival back to the city Huntington, because I went to a quote-unquote hot spot, I have to uh, wear a mask in and out of headquarters. Mm-hmm. Any interaction with the public, which I had to do regardless, you know, if I got my car to get gas at Speedway, I had to put on a mask. Mm-hmm. Right, right now, are, are only the only place that we don't have to wear a mask is in our police car and inside the Huntington Police Department. Yeah, Upon and I'm guessing arrival, if you have I someone have in the wear, back seat, I bet you got to wear a mask there, right? Yes, yeah. And then yeah. uh, upon my back, because I have a take-home car, I don't have to wear a mask in my car because I'm the only person that drives it. But I do have to wear a mask at the Huntington Police Department for two weeks. Yeah. And then, and that, that's the only caveat. But if I do get sick, then they, they will give me the 80 hours of, uh, as I said, COVID time. Mm-hmm. Because we did have, uh, when, you know, when... When vacations and everything became laxed, we have a member of the Huntington Police Department who tested positive, and uh, he said the first week of it was awful, and he lost about 20 pounds, and he couldn't eat anything, and he couldn't really do anything at all other than lay in bed. Oh, that's one hell of a diet. But uh, Oh, exactly. But he said <laughs> after after the first week, he started able to move in a little bit more, but the, the second week was still uh, fairly miserable, he said. But he came back to work after he had tested positive and all his symptoms were gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like uh, when you – know, this is maybe a little departure from um, what I wanted to talk about with you, with you, but I think this is relevant. So think about healthcare workers and um, I think physicians specifically. So that's my, um, that's my arena. And the reason I say physicians specifically is there's so many fewer physicians than there are all the other medical personnel, fewer than nurses, fewer than uh, the technicians. Uh, Correct. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's just like crazy low numbers of doctors. So imagine if every, every doctor who came, who you even thought came close to a COVID patient had to self quarantine for two weeks, how long before there's not a single doctor on duty anywhere? Right? Oh yeah, like, it would it would be awful. In a, really, in a week's really time, there'd be no physicians on duty anywhere in this country or in the world, because all of us, uh, any if, especially if you're hospital based, all of us are going to be um, it, near a suspected COVID patient at one point or another. So we have, I guess you would say, this kind of exception. We get to come to work, even if we know we've been exposed or we suspect we've been exposed. We're allowed to come to work, and in fact, we're expected to come to work. Um, we're just supposed to monitor our symptoms, or take our temperature. You know, if you if you're feeling like shit, maybe go get a test. Maybe stay home. I mean, it's very unclear to all of us what what we should do, and this goes back forever like it's always been like this since i've been in medicine you work when you're sick because there's no one that can take your place literally um yeah i yeah and it sucks you know i worked with the flu last year um i've worked with uh, i worked with mono a few years before that like you just you really have no choice but but to go to work and it's it's not because i'm dependent on the income 
Um, I mean, I have sick time like everyone else. I'm salaried. I, it, it's because this system is dependent on me. Um, and I think that's probably the same boat that, that you're in as a law enforcement professional. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually, it's it's funny uh, that, that you hit on that because one of the guys at work, his, uh, his wife is a nurse and she worked at St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. And she came, she came in contact and she was watching somebody or her, well, I'm not watching. She was the nurse for somebody that indeed tested positive for this. Yeah. And I'm sure they sent her home. Well, they, they sent her home and the, the immediate reaction by the Huntington Police Department and the health department was, hey, you go home. Okay. To her spouse. You're one of your colleagues, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. her, her spouse goes home yeah. because, you know, he, he's, he lives with her. Uh-huh. And so literally less than 24 hours later, he was told to come back to work. Oh, absolutely. Because the, somebody because, realized a shortcoming in, in staff, right? Well, and, and not, not even that. Like, we weren't paying overtime for his position. Mm-hmm. But some somebody at the health department had said, hey, you know, they, this person was intubated. Um, you know, it, it, apparently, you know, from from everything that the person of the health department has studied at that point in time, and it was very early on. But from everything that the person of the health department has known, is because they were intubated, the chances of he getting, he or his wife getting from this patient, it was more if you essentially went out and licked a door. Or if you went and licked a doorknob, your chances of getting COVID from this intubated patient was higher. He needed to come back to work. Yeah, well, so, you know, the the, the whole listening audience may not understand, and I don't know if you understand, uh, someone who's intubated, uh, that is with a you know, soft plastic breathing tube down in their airway connected to a mechanical ventilator, that's a closed system. Um any uh, any aerosols that would come out of the airway, say with a cough or a sneeze or just regular speaking or breathing, doesn't go out into the atmosphere. It just continually circulates in that breathing circuit. So there's there is a significant reduction uh, in in exposure potential. Now, however, the the virus is secreted in all kinds of other bodily fluids. I mean, it's in the saliva and. These people who are ventilators have to have mouth care done. I mean, the nurses brush their teeth and suction the shit out of their mouth, whatever. Um, so it's not that someone on the ventilator you can't get it from. It's just significantly less likely. So I, I guess I would agree with that rationale. But that's probably a bullshit rationale just to tell somebody to get back to work because we don't have someone to fill your spot. Uh, correct. And, and that's the day my entire shift felt the exact same we're like, hey, you yeah. know, if you don't feel comfortable going to work, then home. Yeah, who who cares? Yeah, right. Um, well, let's get back to your vacation because I'm telling you, this could be yeah, like a separate yeah. podcast. Sorry, sorry. We, we got way off track. Well, no uh, need to apologize. And uh, I mean, this is just this. The, the interview just goes where it goes. But uh, I do want to reel us back in and talk about your vacation specifically. Um. So, you know, like, like we've talked about before, I've been to the same spot that you're vacationing. This is our father's, um, what do we call it? The Southern command, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the Southern, Denning, 
Southern Command. Yeah, so our father's vacation home uh, that he generously lets the whole community, it seems like, use. Um, but anyhow, so I've been yeah. down, I've been I've been there before, and I'm very familiar. I or well, pretty well familiar with the restaurant scene, the dining scene there. Um, have you guys been out dining, or are you just cooking at home? Uh, well, what what we did is uh, actually we we came down here with our cousin Melanie and her two daughters. So uh, we mm-hmm. we all we drove down in two cars. Uh, we got here late late Friday night, and Saturday morning, I went out to uh to Walmart and I bought probably I, I mean it, it was three hundred dollars worth of groceries, but for you know seven or eight people. Uh, probably three days worth of food. Yeah. Please tell me you spent more money on liquor. Uh, not more <laughs> money because, uh, as, as, well, cause as, as you said, you know, our, our father generously lets everyone stay here. And, uh, the only thing mine is the rum that I really enjoy from that. Oh, okay, so yeah. I went out and I, I spent a hundred, I spent, I spent a hundred dollars in liquor. And two hundred ninety three in food. Yeah, I I have to interject here. But there is, there is. Yeah, I've, I've got to interject here. So go, Me- go right ahead. So Megan and I went down there, and this is before we got married. Um, this was, uh, uh we took the trip down there for her birthday, um, uh-huh. and we actually celebrated her birthday there. So we, you know, on day one we arrived there. We go to the the local Publix, and and I can't remember the dollar amount we spent on groceries. Maybe like. I don't know, hundred dollars for the two of us. Um, and that was mostly like lunch meat, bread and cereal and bottled water, you know, just I don't yeah. know, very simple stuff. And then, and then we went to a liquor store. We, <laughs> we had, we had a menu of uh, stuff we wanted to fix every day. Like uh, every day we wanted to do a different mimosa in the morning. Every day we wanted to yeah. do a different uh, sangria to drink, uh, at the beach, like around lunchtime, you know, we wanted all this craft beer and, and all these liquors as mixers and stuff. And I swear to God, Joe, for the two of us, I think we spent very close to 500 clams on liquor. And, um, and you guys were only down here for like four days. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was, I want to say five nights. I can't remember exactly, but here's the deal. Oh my gosh. Megan and I, um, we can go toe to toe on the alcohol consumption. It's awesome. Um, right. <laughs> uh, we consumed every drop of that stuff except for like a couple bottles of Prosecco. <laughs> and and we were blitzed the whole week. But oh my gosh, that was the best vacation. But anyways, like that's why I said, please tell me you spent more on liquor than that uh, in groceries. But admittedly, well, I, she I'll and I'll, I she I'll and I went out to dinner every night too. And we I I think the only cooking we did. Uh, in that house was maybe for breakfast, but I'm telling you, we probably had lunch or uh, excuse me, brunch. Um, I don't know, three or four of the mornings we were there. I will tell you, I, I, I sent, he sent everybody uh, the picture of uh, the two bottles of Papa Pile or dark rum. Yeah. And one of the guys at work, uh, one of the guys at work last week, he told me uh, that I needed to try the, the Bacardi Oak Harp rum. Yeah. So I, I've, I, I've been here for two days. <laughs> the first, the first night doesn't really count. But I've been here for two days, 
Okay. And the Bacardi Oak Heart, the Bacardi Oak Heart is done. Yeah. And three quarters of one of the Papa Pilar's dark rum is done. And I'm going to, I'm going to assume that you're the the only only person, person. you're the only consumer of those products. Yeah. So actually I wanted to talk to you about, I actually wanted to talk to you about that rum because you've been sending us all, uh, text messages about the rum. Um, I have, I've had the Papa's pillar or Pilar or however you say that I've had that Oak heart. Um, what I wanted to comment on the Papa's pillar that, that rum, I I simultaneously love and, uh, do not like it. I can't say I hate it, but I I love it. And I do not like it. I'm going to explain why I love it because it tastes phenomenal. It's to me, it's been aged perfectly. It's very smooth, very drinkable, um, right out of the bottle. You're, this isn't, it's not a liquor you're going to mix with Coke. I mean, at least I wouldn't. I don't know how you're drinking it. I would just drink it by itself. Well, I, I, I drink it by itself, but uh, if I'm going to drink it in excess, like I have so far, <laughs> I'm going to mix it with things. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so I like it because it is so drinkable. It's very smooth. Like I said, it's, it's age. It's very mellow. However, the, the reason I do not like it is because it is so fucking sweet. It's as if somebody made a rum, they ran it through the still, they put it in a barrel, and then before they bottled it, they poured a whole sack of damn sugar into it. Um, which Yeah, I would agree. It's, it's a very sweet rum. Which, uh, simultaneously, so you get all the, the oak flavoring and the spice added to it, but... You, there is a predominant sugar taste to it. And every time I drink it, uh, while I'm enjoying it, I say to myself like, Oh my God, this, this tastes like a mixer or it tastes like a mixed drink. So it's weird, you know, and even, if, yeah. even when you compare it to Captain Morgan, which is like the, the quintessential mixed drink rum, um, it's a thousand times sweeter than Captain Morgan's in my opinion. Oh yeah. But oh, my, no, but my right. goodness, is it drinkable? I mean, I feel like I could drink two bottles of that, uh, just sitting, sitting out at the beach or sitting out on, uh, next to the canal smoking a cigar. Um, yeah. I, and then it, the it, same, honestly, that's what I do. And I think that, I think the same is true that Oak Heart. The Oak Heart is very, very sweet. Now it's got a little bit more barrel flavor to it, I think, because they've done something interesting with the barrel aging. Like maybe they've, Maybe they put it in a, a, a spent bourbon cask or some shit. I can't remember, but um, but no, that one is incredibly sweet too, and, and it, they just taste to me like mixers. I don't, but that, no, that it's good shit. Obviously, um, yeah, it, it really is. I, I was very pleased because you know the the the, the, the Papa's Pilar, you know, it's not overly expensive. It's about forty dollars a bottle, but that Ocar. Or I don't want to say it was like thirteen ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine a bottle, and that was phenomenal yeah. for the price of how much that was. Yeah, well, that's just mass mass produced, mass market. It's a it's Bacardi, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. So it was funny when when I picked it up. the uh, The guy at the liquor store told me that uh, with the Papa's Pilar, he said, "You know, I, I've." I've made several old fashions out of that. And he goes, well, I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. I guess you could refer to it as a rum fashion. Really? And I said, well, I, I'll tell you, it's, it's kind of got a bourbon taste. So, I mean, I, I could, I could totally see where 
would call it an old fashioned. I said, but I bet that tasted phenomenal. Yeah, I bet there's. Um, I mean, I know, I, so I I can see where this dude's coming from. I think if I use that to make a, a quote unquote old fashioned though, there's probably no need to add any simple syrup to it. You just do a, you do your dash, oh, of, do your dash of bitters, and uh, you know, drop a cherry in it, and you're done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true because, like you said, I mean, it, it's it's a very sweet, yeah, rum. Yeah. Uh, so what beer are you drinking down there? Hey, honestly, um, what whatever. Whatever expired beer dad has in the refrigerator is what I'm so, drinking. So you haven't gone to buy your own? <laughs> no, God, God, no. Like, I, I don't, I mean, if, if he had zero cigars here, I would go and buy my own. But he, he's got some, you know, some cheap punches, and I'll smoke those. And then he's got a couple of, uh, you know, the, the uh, Drew Estate uh, T-52s, and I'm going to smoke a few of those. But I promised him I wouldn't. Uh, smoke all of them because they're quote unquote expensive cigars. Oh my gosh! Um, In the end, hey, what hey, the hey, fuck hey. does he even care? Seriously. Well, no, exactly, and, and that's the funny part. Is talking to him the other day. He goes, "Well, you know, Andrew smoked all my all my judges down there." I was like, "Well, who cares?" I was like, "Just get on cigars dot com and send me another box of something." Like, I <laughs> right. know you don't care. Yeah. I said, Let, let's be honest. Dad. Yeah. Well, but I wonder if he complains I, about I, me I, drinking all of his wine here in Huntington. Hey, honestly, <laughs> the, the, David, to be honest with you, the only time I've ever heard that man complain is when uh, allegedly he went out of town and you snuck in and stole some of the quote unquote expensive wine. Allegedly. Oh, I took that. like a case of his log cabin. Um, exactly. Well, I, but, I was saying the thing allegedly because I didn't. I didn't want to put you on blast. Well, I mean, yeah. No, I'll fully admit to that. I'll admit it to him. I, and I think, in fact, I have. I've walked out, dude. I've walked out of his house with bottles stuffed into the pockets of my jeans. Like oh, it's, I know it's you a have. joke. I have seen but uh, <laughs> the thing is, I, it always makes me laugh because he wants to argue like that. I can't take. I can't have any of his log cabin wine because it's so rare and he doesn't have any of it. Well, fuck that. You go to his basement, there's a thousand bottles of it. Easy. Well, no shit. There's more bottles than the guy could drink before he dies. He's had two fucking barrels of it. I know. (laughs) I mean, come on. I'm telling you, I'm going to get that dude on the podcast and I'm going to ask him, how in the hell... Did you ever get into wine? I seriously, I want him to answer that because, and this is one, this is one million percent off topic, but I don't care. But you, and you know, cause you, you're one of my siblings and you know how he was. He, he spent the first, what, 50 years of his life teetotaling, never, yeah. never had a drop of alcohol in his life, probably never put a cigarette or cigar to his mouth in his life for 50 years and now all of a sudden he's a freaking wino and he's sucking down a cigar every night of the week yeah well you, you, <laughs> what, you, you look at i mean you, 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 our, our dad it's wine bourbon yeah and i don't care rum. i'm not I mean, i'm not criticizing I, I I, I, whatever makes him like happy said, though, it's, it's funny that the flip-flop that he has done i mean he mm-hmm. love him to death but you know it's it, it's funny. It really and truly is. Yeah, I'm just now, gonna... granted, I'm taking 
full advantage of it. I, oh, yeah. I really am. <laughs> He's got I a mean, nice I, liquor I, cabinet down there. I'll tell you what. Oh, he does. And, and I, I've told him, I said, look, I said, unless you give me a bottle of this log cabin, I'm not going to take it. I said, but you leave a good bottle of rum out or a good bottle of <laughs> bourbon out. I said, if it goes missing, it's probably me. Yeah. Oh, I, absolutely. Like, I, I won't take your, I won't take your wine, but I'll take your rum or your bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes and me I curious. What kind of bourbon that you can find in Florida that we might not have honestly, access to here? I, I honestly have not looked that much for bourbon. Cause I mean, you know, dad's got a pretty good bourbon selection down here. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the bourbon selection in Florida probably blows goats compared to what we can get here uh, in western, south, southwest West Virginia and eastern Kentucky, right? I mean, we we have access to almost all of it. I mean, well, it, the thing is, it gets sold thing, out. It gets honest, sold out instantaneously here. But uh, yeah, go ahead. I, well, here's the thing. I mean, he's he's got. Uh, he, well, he has had, I, I finished it off last year when I was here. Yeah, I, I had one of the Jefferson's Ocean Aged uh, that you tried several years ago. I had one of those. He had, uh, he had a bottle of that down here. I don't know if he brought it mm-hmm. or bought it. Uh, but right now, and, and I have still to this day, last year he told me I could open it, and I did not. But he has, it's not Jefferson's Ocean Age, but he has a Jefferson's Reverse, or Reserve, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Jefferson's Reserve. <laughs> same, batch, same letters in there, I think, Reverse. Number, <laughs> batch number one. Oh, that's very interesting. Because I thought that the Jefferson's and Reserve it, was a very common, uh, very large, large, huge batch uh, bourbon. I thought it was too, but like, like I said, I, I saw it last year, and I asked him if I could open it, and he said yes. But then I found Makers, and I said I I won't drink this; I'll just drink the Makers. Yeah. But I thought it was very interesting that he had something from batch number one of yeah, Jefferson. Yeah, that's very Reserve. curious. That's that's cool. But, you know, and, you know, as, as I say, all all of us have different different tastes uh, a lot of us have the same taste you know all of us make different amounts of money and yeah i i, I yeah i don't try to 100 i don't try to 100 percent freeload off of our dad but i sure <laughs> shit freeload when i'm down here yeah no well and i think um i hate to use this term because i'm anti this term but uh i think that we are entitled to drink the, the the spirits and the wines that our dad has i totally well, feel and that let, way let, let's be honest and, and, and you know even smoking the cigars you know the past couple of weeks before i came down here you go up to his house and yeah you know, last year he would try to give me the cheapest cigar that he owned yeah and oh now, well he would he does <laughs> well, no, but, but now you know he, 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 three four weeks ago when i was up at his house like he didn't give a shit what I smoked or what I drank at his house. Yes, the old man and, has and mellowed think, out a lot. Well, and, and I think that he's realizing, hey, let let me enjoy my time with my boys that I have 
not enjoyed yet. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 yeah, just like I say, it's very interesting. I mean, Becky, the boys, and I came down uh, last year. We came down from December twenty sixth to January second. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it wasn't necessarily cold down here, but we turned the heater up to like ninety degrees because why the hell not? <laughs> uh-huh. And he, he, you know, we 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 were making a joke two and a half weeks ago up at Dad's house that you know. Paul Paul was still paying the electric bill from where we turned the pool heater on down in December. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and dad looked at me and dad goes, you know, that's what Paul Paul's are for. Yeah. And, you know, he's been and a I remarkable just, grandfather, hasn't he? he? He really and truly has. I mean, yeah. and, on, and not that, not that he wasn't a great dad to begin with. No, that's not what I meant to imply. Yeah. But, um, no, he's, no, 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 but that, that's, that's not what I'm implying, but I mean, just like growing up, you, know, you realize that, hey, he may have been not necessarily strict, but, you know, he, we didn't necessarily get everything we wanted growing up. Yeah. So you had everything you needed. So there's a couple yeah, things you want. There's a couple of things at play here. So, so now we're removed from um, like we're we're bystanders. We're we're outside observers now. Right. So we we yeah. can we can see his interaction with our children, and we we can appreciate how much he cherishes this time with them. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's you, you don't you don't realize that as as his children, like you don't see that you're not an outside exactly. observer, right? Um, so I'm sure that uh, anyone else, so anyone from our extended family, aunts and uncles, whatever, they would have said like. Oh my gosh, he's great father. You really cherishes his time with his kids, but we didn't see that personally. Yeah. We saw him as a disciplinarian, right. a guy who worked his fucking oh, nuts yeah. off, uh, yep. who who put in fucking uh, twice as many, three times as many hours as anyone else's dad, right? Every week, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, no, we you can surely appreciate what kind of a grandparent he is. Uh, to oh, all he's of, a phenomenal grandparent. Yeah, and 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 that's and like I said, it's not to say he was a shitty dad. I I would never say that. I think he was an awesome dad, but it's just now I'm an outside observer, and I just say to myself like, oh my gosh, look at him with my kids, even my older kids, even my oh, teenage yeah. kids. And then I like look at him with my little twins, you know, my little one year old, one and a half year old twins. Like, and look at him with all of my other nieces and nephews. Like, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah, well, and, and like you said, I would never say he was a shitty dad. I, I thought he was a phenomenal dad, but like you said, he, he worked three or four times more hours a week than per near anybody that we knew father. Yeah, well, I mean, so he, while, the rest of, while the rest of the world is punching a time card for 40 hours a week, maybe putting in some overtime, I don't know, maybe I'll give some people credit for 50 or 60 hours a week, our father would... I bet routinely work 120 hours a week or more. Oh, easily, easily. And I, let me tell you, folks, there's no overtime pay for that in that business. No, God no. Uh, and it's just yeah. Who it's, there is overtime for? <laughs> who's that? Police officers. Let no. me tell you that. Oh my God! <laughs> Fuck that! I. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, oh, um, gosh. 
I, you know, so I'm, I'm on the receiving end of this too. I mean, like I, um, even now, like I made the comment the other day, I said, I work more now than when I was a trainee. Um, now not when I was a trainee in general surgery. So the, the first year out of med school for me in general surgery, um, as an intern, I worked 120 plus hours a week. It was fucking miserable. I wanted to blow my brains out every day. Then I, <laughs> then I got into the anesthesia residency and like, I doubt I worked 40 hours a week. It's probably the thirties. Um, and then my first job, I probably, I probably did 40 hours a week, even though like we didn't, I mean, I was salaried. We didn't have to punch a time card, but now in this new job I have in Charleston, Oh my God. Like I don't keep track of the hours on a week to week basis, but we have to kind of consolidate, uh, or, you know, look at our time at the end of every month. And at the end of every month, I have 300 hours, you know, so that's, that's over, that's like 90 hours a week, right? For four weeks. Yeah. Um, and that's crazy. Like I, I literally haven't worked this way since I was a resident. And, uh, yeah, it's, and uh, I don't know, everyone tells me like, stop, you're complaining. You're, you make the big bucks. That's all I ever hear is you make the big bucks. Well, you know, and I want to tell people but, like, but I don't see you your do, ass. Do, I don't see your do. ass putting in 24 hour shifts or, or even putting in 30 hour shifts. Cause sometimes I'll have to work post call. I'll have to stay after being in, in well, the hospital hey, for 24 hours. Nobody else in the, well, on the planet like, is expected to do that. <laughs> Look at what I do. I mean, I, I work 12-hour shifts, and then I work at off-duty jobs, and I've got mm-hmm. dog training and other shit. You know, I, I easily put in, what, 84, 88, 92 hours a week. Is, or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, no. Uh, let's see, 84, yeah, so- 88, 92, 96. I put in about 102 hours of pay period. Okay, so fifty so, plus for, hours a, a week. Yeah, yeah, and but you know, but my education is not what yours is, and I totally understand this <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, well, I and really I just I just have to tell everyone, like, listen, walk back your comment, walk back your thought process. To say I make the big bucks, I mean, yes, I, I won't deny that. Like, I, I have no worries financially. Um. However, I would just argue that I don't have the lifestyle that a lot of people who earn less than I do have, uh, you know, yes. so, I mean, just imagine, I, I don't know. It's so hard for me to articulate to the, to people who don't work in the business. Um, I'll work six days a week, seven days a week. Sometimes I always, always at a minimum work five days a week. And I'm not talking about working nine to five or seven to three. Like I'm working six A to five P or six A to six P five days a week. Yeah. And imagine if I'm on call, like, so this weekend, like yesterday I was on call Saturday and on call for me means that I stay in the hospital overnight for 24 hours. So it's, I didn't have a single day off last week. So I worked Monday through Friday and then Saturday I start at 7A and I go to 7A on Sunday. I don't, there's not, Yeah. just because I put in a 24-hour 24, 24 shift, it doesn't mean that I get it back anywhere else. 
Um, Correct. Yeah, that's just a, it's just a normal day at work. And, um, you know, the situation for me right now, I'm working two weekends a month on call. And that, that comes in the form of either one Saturday for 24 hours, or I have to do Friday, 24 hours and Sunday, 24 hours. So, I mean, look at that. That's in, in, in a three day span, that's 48 hours working. That's another person's work week. More yeah. than another person's well, work week. And so there, and there's a lot of sacrifice. I, and I hate to talk. <laughs> um, it's weird that we've gone down this pathway talking about uh, a person's well, but, hours worked and lifestyle and all that. Well, but, you know, you, you, you look, look at it and you come, you come back full circle to what our original conversation was. And, Dana, that, that's honestly the biggest reason why I decided to go out of town during the middle of this. Yeah. Because whether I'm, well, no, no, not the lifestyle choice. If if I'm on vacation, yeah, I don't have to work my 84 hours in a pay period, you know, my 36 hours one week, my 48 hours next. Right. But but if I'm on vacation, I'm still going to go dog train. I'm still going to go work my off duty job. Mm hmm. If, and unless I go away from the city of Huntington, I truly cannot relax and enjoy a vacation. Well, oh, I see what you mean. Uh, even though, so Which it, it, even it, though your your off duty job is your off duty job is voluntary, correct? Yeah, it, it's voluntary, and, and, that, but, and don't get me wrong. I, but I, it fits I, into I, your schedule, I, I'm sure. Very generously to do nothing. Yeah. Oh, whatever. I mean, it's you could compare it to my work. Like I'm paid to be available for critical care stuff, right? And so yeah, you're you're being exactly. paid to be available and, and for security somewhere. Yeah, and that's what I tell people. It's like I I don't get paid for what I do. Don't get me wrong, but I get paid for what I can do versus yeah. you know a, a store employee or you know a concerned citizen. They cannot effectively arrest someone. Yeah, that's true. That's, that, that is, Especially that not is some jag off from Audi, right? <laughs> right, well, and, and, and that's what it is. Yeah, I get paid very generously because I have the right to essentially take away someone's constitutional right. No, you're, well, you're not taking away someone's constitutional rights. And, and actually, that's, uh, this is something I wanted to talk about as, as, uh, as it pertains to mask wearing and, uh, and distancing. So if you arrest someone for committing a crime, how can you say that you're taking away someone's constitutional rights? So you're, you, someone said, uh, I heard this on, uh, on, I think on Joe Rogan's podcast the other day, some smart guy said, uh, yeah, you have the right to go swinging your arms around fists closed all day long, but your right to swing your fists in the air ends at my face. So yeah, uh, the the people who are shoplifting at Audi or being um, miscreants or publicly intoxicated, or whatever. So they you have a right to uh, consume alcoholic beverages. You arguably have the right to consume illicit substances. Uh, now, I mean, I think that's kind of a gray area because the the sale of them is illegal. I think the purchase of them is illegal. But once you have them, I don't think. And you might correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's illegal to consume them. 
But anyways, so well, it, it, so it, you it, you have what the, I tell people in regards to that, it's illegal to possess, sell, you know, cultivate. But you're yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah, you can use it's them. It's not so, illegal to consume or be under the. Well, I mean, I mean, clearly it's public intoxication, but to that's what I was going to say. So you, you have, so everyone has the right to consume beer, right? Everyone, yeah. And you could even argue that people have the right to drop acid or light up a joint, but yeah. that I mean, right, once it's in your bloodstream, I can that, no longer prove that you possess it. But that right ends somewhere, right? The right, the right yes, to consume does. alcohol ends at the freaking uh, ignition switch on your car. Yeah. The, the right to consume illicit substances ends the moment that you uh, commit shoplifting crimes. Yeah. I mean, does well, that make I sense what I'm saying? Say, uh, oh, no, it does. Well, and I guess I misspoke. Not, not necessarily take away their uh, constitutional yeah. right, but potentially take away their freedom. Okay. Yes. You, because because yeah. I, I can I can lock them up for you know we'll just say eight hours before they get arraigned yes. and the judge says okay you can be released from jail. So that's I think that's that's a, a great way to rephrase that taking away one's freedom. So I and I am a firm believer there's a difference between rights and freedoms. Okay. Oh no, and, and, and there is. You're you're right. And it's like uh, just like I said, I I heard this one uh, person on a podcast say that your your right to swing your fists around ends at my face. He also said your right to not wear a mask around in public during a pandemic ends at my well being. And and I think what he meant by that was like yes, it's your it's your right and your personal freedom to not wear a mask. However, that ends. When there's a pandemic at play, and when you could potentially spread shit to other people, and you know, it, it was, I was one at the beginning, and and I think my biggest problem, David, honestly, with the city of Huntington is at the very beginning of this, we didn't have to wear masks at uh-huh. work. Yeah, well, at the beginning and of you know, this, we, nobody we, had to wear masks. I mean that the mask well, mandate, that, the mask mandate, is relatively new. No, but go ahead. Yeah. Right, but it, and and that like that that's that. I understand where they're coming from. I really and truly do. Like I, I by no means am I trying to be you know a, a jackass, but at points when I'm at work, I do. Don't get me wrong, because I I like to push as many buttons as I can sometimes. <laughs> but you know, mm-hmm. if it were if it were that if it were that serious. When it first started, and I realized that we learned, you know, as this thing progresses, we learn different things. Yeah. But what it, what happened was, is the health department in the city of Huntington, you know, two months after the lockdown, when everything started going to slightly normal again, is when the health department in the city of Huntington decided, I needed to wear a mask everywhere. Yeah. So, I, I actually would like to speak to that. So. I um, I very often think back to the early days of the coronavirus outbreak. Um, I I think nobody knew anything about this, and they did. They really and truly did. Nobody knew anything, and there was oh my god, 
so much panic, so much fear. Like it was awful. And I, I subscribed to all of the panic and the fear. I was at one point almost paralyzed with fear when it came to going to work and being in contact with other people. I was, you know, the, maybe the first week or so, well, let me walk that back a little bit. Um, there was a period of time that they shut down uh, elective surgeries and I got to stay home for a week. I had to be on call one yeah. night in the middle of that. Um, but the other days of the week, I didn't have to go to work. And to be honest, the night I spent on call, we didn't do anything because everyone was staying at home. People weren't out freaking shooting each other and stabbing each other. And people weren't uh, engaging in the normal bullshit nonsense stuff they do every night. Like, so it was a quiet night yeah. on call. Um, but, uh, we, but when they, when they did reopen the elective surgeries or when we did have an emergency surgery overnight, like, Oh my God, I can't tell you how scared everyone was. We put on uh, face shields in 95 respirators we put on, uh, you know, brand new surgical gowns uh, to cover. Like in the surgical gown, I mean, it, it goes from your neck, like from the bottom of your chin, down to your ankles. Basically, uh, it's a very long flowing gown. And on top of that, so that was, you know, the in quote personal protective gear. We were also putting. Uh, barriers on the patients like you should have seen some of the contraptions that came out early in this like that someone came up with an, a clear like a plexiglass box that we put over someone's head uh, as they laid down on the operating table before we intubated them and there was two holes cut out in this plexiglass box where you could stick in your arms and use the laryngoscope which is the instrument used to intubate somebody and stick your other hand in and insert the breathing tube. Like I wish I, I wish I had taken pictures of this, but I'm not allowed to. I can't because it's like a privacy thing. But just try to imagine yeah. that, like a clear box you put over someone. So you're covering yourself in protective gear, and then you're isolating this patient with a box uh, put over them. Like I can't even imagine how frightened those patients had to have been because you put the box oh, over yeah. them while they're still awake. That, like they're fully aware yeah. that there's this shit put over them, even though they can see through it, but they know that they're enclosed in this nonsense and everyone around them is like fully covered up and stuff, you know, including these, uh, uh, face shields. Like it, it, it had to have looked like something out of a science fiction movie. Like they were about to get butt raped by aliens. Yeah. Um, what and, and honestly, like I, not, not that I was scared. You know, my wife and I, you know, we're, we're both consider, considered essential employees. Uh-huh. Now, you know, Becky, Becky did uh, almost everything was telehealth, and a lot of it still is, but she still had to go to the office every day. Yeah, right. And I still had to go to, I still had to go to work every day. Uh-huh. Hey, hey, not not that I was terrified to go to work because, like you said, everything kind of slipped down. The shitheads weren't being shitheads anymore. Yeah, so you saw a drop hey, in crime, it, 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 didn't you? Yeah, yeah. 
but, but you know, you, you still had to go out and do stuff, at least be seen. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I was I was worried about that. You know, what what am I going to you know go in somebody's house for a domestic dispute, which skyrocketed? Nobody wanted anybody to go to jail, but they just couldn't get away from each other. So a lot <laughs> of the times, what we did, well, and and that that was the thing. It's like I don't want him to go to jail, so we would just say, hey, you know, can you go to your mom's place or you know go to a buddy's place, and we would just essentially relocate that person. Yeah. And luckily, because I have a dog, I didn't have to put anybody in my car. Oh, that's true. You know, like, so if you arrest somebody, if you put someone in handcuffs, you call another person to come put them in their car, right? Yeah. 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 So you never have to have a detainee in your vehicle. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And, and honestly, most of, most of the time, most of the guys on, you know, on shift are younger than I am or not been here as long as me. And I don't have to take them to jail. Yeah. They'll take them to headquarters. They'll, they'll process them while I write my report and do my warrants and everything. And then they take them to jail. Well, because you've got that really adorable like pup a- in your backseat, right? Yeah. Which is probably worth a lot of money, I would guess. <laughs> Which is, why, yeah. you, is yeah. why you can't carry anyone else back there to protect him. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, now compare the compare the early response to COVID with all this protective bullshit. And um, you know, I'll admit, like everyone in my business wanted to be as much hands off as we could be. Uh, so, what is it now, or what did it become uh, in the middle after after the initial response? Like, I think a bunch of people got. Uh, fatigued with the whole idea of isolating and and putting up barriers and protecting oneself and and especially when <laughs> this is going to sound so weird but especially when the hospitals came down and suggested that we reuse this equipment because there wasn't any more in the stockpile yeah so then we we're all like you know what fuck this everything we've been taught about um you know, uh, isolating ourselves from disease and everything. This has all fucking been just thrown out the window. Everything that the joint commission has told us, everything the CDC has told us has literally gone out the window overnight. One day they said, you can reuse your mask, reuse your gowns. Um, you know, I'm certain if, if there would have been a glove shortage, they would have told us to reuse the damn gloves. So I think a lot of us got, fatigue based on that and and we, and we just kind of checked out we we're like fuck this i mean we we're like who cares we're we're going to well i can't say we i'm gonna tell you this was my perspective on it i said fuck this i'm going to get this eventually there's no way i can stop myself from getting it because there's not adequate protective gear and i just freaking resigned myself like I, I that i was going to get this and then and then there was this decline in the number of cases everywhere and there was this glimmer of hope and our governor here in, in west virginia opened the operating rooms back up for elective cases and hospital er's reopened the hospital started admitting patients again for bullshit stuff and i think we all said oh hey so it's over with 
and and we forgot about the nonsense. And now it's sprung back up and we're like, okay, what do we do now? Because we're still very ill-equipped to deal with this. Um, you know, yeah. there's, there's a little more testing capability, but I don't have any more personal protective gear. So I still, my mindset is still, fuck it. I'm going to get it at some point. And I hope that I'm healthy well, enough it, to beat it. It's really, you mentioned that because it, at work, what they did is, uh, you know, un, unfortunately for the guy that got hurt, he, we had a guy at work. He went to uh, Salt Lake City back in February before all the COVID and everything started. Mm-hmm. And he went skiing. Yeah. And he, he, he broke a couple bones and, you know, hurt oh, his knee gosh. real bad. But, well, but, but right now he, he is unable to return fully to work. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he works Monday through Friday, nine to five, and he takes reports over the phone. Oh yeah. And so I think that was, that was another striking thing that came out of this COVID thing. I don't know what it was locally, but I remember seeing all these letters posted on Facebook and Instagram and social media was all these uh, municipalities uh, had letters out that said we cannot make in person uh we cannot take in person reports for the following uh offenses you know and there's a list of them like they would only respond to like fucking murder or rape or or yeah, well, larceny and we, stuff like that right and the rest of yeah, it is done well, by telephone we, we we have a policy at work that clearly if it's if it's a felony where there can be uh, items processed, we will we will respond in person to that. Okay. But you know, if it's hey, you know, I, I think little Penny across the street stole my flower pots, <laughs> then you know, hey, well, we we can take that over the phone. That makes you think, though, like so pre-COVID. So if it was. If it was not so relevant during, you know, post COVID, like why was that even relevant pre COVID? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, but it, well, it, here, here's the thing. I mean, honestly, and and it, from from time to time, we've had what we refer to as a telecaller. Yeah, but all of it all hinges upon, hey, if if everybody at work is a hundred percent, go and take this in person. Okay, but if you've got somebody that's quote unquote on light duty hold that call and he will call them when he gets in. I see. Okay. And, and, and that's the thing is, but when all this started, the, the chief of police at the time said, Hey, this, these are the, the guidelines I want you guys to use. You know, anybody is allowed to call a report. If it's just a report over the phone, mm-hmm. if you need to, gather you know photograph or photographs or statements or whatever then you need to go in person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh you know if, if if you go and you know you don't necessarily feel that there's a need to arrest anybody then by all means either sign a summons or sign a warrant if it's a violent felony or a domestic case and you feel somebody needs to go then by all means physically arrest them but if not then just 
sign a summons or sign a warrant. You don't have to physically arrest everyone. And still, and we even still do that. You know, like it's been probably three weeks ago now, but I had somebody, he drove his car up onto the railroad tracks and almost got hit by a train. And I hmm. took him back to the office, did all the paperwork I needed, blew him on the uh, intoximeter. You know, after I got all the information I needed, I sent him home with a responsible adult, but I signed warrants on him later on for DUI because I, with COVID, there was no need for him to go to jail and potentially be uh, exposed to that. So let me, may I stop you right there? Because this is something I wanted to bring up and I wanted to, I really needed to get a feel for your level of comfort on this. Um, so there's, in addition to COVID, uh, relating to law enforcement right now there's also this um social justice concept for you know for lack of a different term uh to to somehow exact uh revenge on the police or uh or uh radically change the police or defund the police like i mean you know what i'm talking about like they're there's a yeah. push, push right now based on some perceived injustices. Like I'm, I'm not going to sit here. I, it's not my job to say whether police are guilty or not guilty of abuses. It's not my job to say whether um, suspects are guilty or not guilty of crimes. Uh, I don't, right. I don't want anyone to misunderstand that. But there is a social media push for sweeping uh, law enforcement reform. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, every, everyone's crying for police reform. So you just told me that you um, you and or your department, it sounds like your department, excuse me, I, I had to belch there. I've been having some awesome Mick Ultras. So, oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. You've been drinking water. Yeah, I've been drinking, been drinking beer, water. I've been drinking beer flavored water. Uh, with, I've, I, <laughs> but I've also sprinkled in some fire, uh, some fireballs. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this shit is called fireball. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so you just told me that, you, that uh, your department or you, I can't remember exactly what you said, but anyways, you, the, the, there has been a change in, uh, based on COVID, based on exposure. Um, risk and whether you haul someone in for a crime or you just send them home with a summons for court later. I mean, that's what you just told me, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is what I've been wondering in this whole uh, police reform climate. And, and Joey, I'm telling you like, uh, I'm going to be the first person. I, I need to admit to you. I, I don't know the whole story on any of these things. I only know um, the media reports. I only know what I see on the internet and on the television. Let me put that up. Right, there. yeah. I, I, I don't want this to come across as a sweeping judgment against cops or anything. Like, because, I mean, I don't, I'm not anti-police whatsoever. I want everyone to understand that. But I just know what I see on TV, basically. Right. So we have this, uh, you know, this guy. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna put out names or department 
departments or cities or anything. But we have this guy who uh, died uh, allegedly as a result of a police officer putting his knee on his neck. We have okay. we have a guy who was killed. Um, I think it was in Atlanta or near Atlanta uh, for for a DUI offense. Atlanta. For DUI offense, that when I looked, I looked at the, the the body cam. I think it was body cam footage, and maybe there was some cell phone camera footage in there, whatever. But this guy had apparently passed out uh, or fallen asleep, whatever you want to call it at a drive-through window at some some fast food restaurant and someone called the police saying he's drunk whatever and they responded and the guy came out and he was you know fairly articulate said things like hey why, why don't you send me home why don't you just call somebody for me whatever and i think i think what happened was the guy uh the uh the suspect or the accused must have suddenly realized that he was going to be arrested and he became afraid and he did something irrational you know he ran um and at some point i think the 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 allegations are he somehow got the uh the the police officer's taser or the police officer's weapon and at that, and he was shot at some point and killed. Um, yeah. Now let me. Br- uh, I know this is like a lot of random um, stream of thought. Let me bring this all back in and and tell you what my thoughts on this are. So, if you're a responding officer to some of these offenses, some of these nonviolent offenses, and I would argue that DUI is a nonviolent offense unless you've crashed into somebody and fucking killed them. That's a, right. that's a different thing. But if you if you're passed out in the drive through line at fucking Taco Bell at three in the morning, I would argue that's a nonviolent offense. Uh, even if you're you know even if your blood alcohol level is like point five, whatever. So say you're you're called to the scene of that, you're confronted with the choice of what to do. Right? Do you do you put this person in handcuffs and haul them into the police department, or do you just write them a citation and say, Hey, you, you're going to be summoned to court on whatever date. I mean, are those, are those, am I being realistic? Are those two choices or do you have to arrest that person? Well, no, here's, here, here's the thing is the the person that I was just talking about drove up onto the railroad tracks. Yeah. I, we we had to put him in handcuffs just due to our policy because we put him in our police car. Okay. I had to, I had to take him back to the office or the Huntington Police Department, and I didn't necessarily have to process him, but I had to blow him on the intoximeter. Okay. So I mean, you yes, you can issue a summons, but with something like that, where where for the criminal and the DMV courts, you need X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You can't just write them a summons, at least in West Virginia. I don't necessarily know how it was in Georgia, but you, you got to take them back. And like I said, you got to get X, Y, and Z before you can send him home with the summons. You can't just write him a summons and call him somebody to pick him up 
right mm-hmm. there at the drive-through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I follow. And, and you're right. I mean, it's, I think I follow it's your line of reasoning. Violent crime. I think I follow your line of reasoning, and and like I said at the outset of this, I don't know all of the details from this case. I right. I just know I see on TV. But what I'm yeah. thinking is, first of all, I want to say there is no reason someone should wind up dead after they pass out drunk at a drive-through line. I mean, I right. think I think everyone on the planet would agree to that, right? Oh yeah, I think that's that's a tragedy. And so, it really and truly, I mean, honestly, both both of the incidences that you referred to i mean both of them are huge tragedies yeah no one should they, they, no they one really should wind up old. dead after allegedly passing a fake bill uh, yeah yeah and, and, and you know as, as it was explained to me uh by somebody that has since retired and in a police encounter i have i have the responsibility to make sure that you go home safely as well as you have responsibility to make sure I go home safely. Yeah. And now I'll admit that an intoxicated person can't ensure that. Uh, correct. Yes. Cause but, I, I but, could, you know, uh, it, it, I could fuck you up somehow and I don't have control right. over my faculties, but uh, no go, but no, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. There, there's, there's a, uh, there is a responsibility by both parties. Um, I totally agree with that. But I'm just, I guess the, the, the question I would put to you is that, um, do you, do you see a scenario where you respond to a call and let's just, let's just use DUI as an example. Okay. You respond to a DUI call, you determine the suspect to be intoxicated and that. Okay. I, I don't care how you determine that. That can be through breathalyzer. That can be through field sobriety tests, whatever. So you, you've responded to a call to UI. You've determined that the suspect, the suspect is intoxicated. Do you see a scenario where you send that person home with a responsible third party with instructions to return to court at a later date? As okay. I say, because of X, because of X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. they may think they're going to be arrested when all I'm doing is just taking them back to the police department and doing the rest of my paperwork. Okay, well, they well get so okay. That, no, I'm glad you brought that up. But let me let me be more specific in my question. Then letting them go home from this scene with a third party with a summons issued hey, on, on that, do, do I, you I see, no. a, do you see any scenario that that would be possible? Hey, in, in theory, it could, but like I said, for, for, for criminal court and DMV court, you need to have not just, not even the preliminary breath test or the PBT, but you need that intoximeter reading. Like it may not not so much a DUI, but in like a simple mm-hmm. battery, or you know something something along those lines where you don't need further tests. 
Yeah, so I do know from so I do know from personal experience that the burden of proof is met on a DUI case if the person's uh, blood alcohol is determined to be above whatever the threshold is. Correct. Uh, so, what if you had a? So, are you telling me if you if you did a field if you did a breathalyzer in the field is that and say that a person blew point two, which is I mean, that's that's heads and shoulders above the legal limit, right? That meets the burden of proof. Correct. Is that not sufficient in the field? That, that, it, that is sufficient for criminal court. Mm-hmm. DMV court, where they suspend your license or decide not to suspend your license, that is not sufficient. Well, okay, so that I, this is something I'm not aware of. I thought, I thought that that all happened simultaneously. Like, and again, no, I, no, no, I'm, and again, I'm falling back on my own personal experience, which is in a different state, by the way. Oh, and and, and that, that's a whole other thing. It's because you know, in West Virginia, first offense DUI, if you're under a point one five zero, is non jailable. Mm-hmm. Like the the penalty is not you know not jail at all. I mean you know if I arrest you at three o'clock in the morning and there's not a mattress in, yeah. then yeah you have the potential to go to jail until you can. Yeah, but, but I, if I arrest you, I guess what then, I'm getting at is, um, gosh, I'm I'm trying to think of how to how to phrase this for you. I mean, I know that like, uh, how can I ask this? So. Do you have the ability to ad lib what you do to suspects? Does that make sense? I mean, you're, are you uh, are you empowered or enabled to say, "I'll tell you what, I'm gonna let you go home, but your ass needs to come to court thirty days from now." Or or are you mandated? Are you mandated by the city to haul their ass in and get fingerprinted and all that nonsense? No, no, and, and that, that's honestly that about my job in law enforcement in general up until – and we're, we're going to get them in the city of Huntington. So I don't know how this is going to affect, affect what I'm going to talk about here. But body cameras can change all of this. But the best part about my job legitimately is what we refer to as officer discretion. Yeah, okay, so discretion is a good word for it. Yeah, I don't have to arrest. Well, there, there are some things I have to arrest for. But, I mean, yeah, like, if I stop, you know, we're just for shits and giggles, if I stop Ben Denning for DUI, I don't have to arrest Ben Denning. Yeah, well, so if I guess... I, if I want to get him a ride home, I can get him a ride home. So I guess that's... I guess that's the, the the crux of my question. So, when we when we talk about this whole uh, collective issue of uh, police brutality, and and I don't want, I don't want to make it sound like it's all the police's fault, but it, uh, maybe we talk about suspects fleeing or suspects attacking. Um, if if there was a scenario where 
you know, the, some these smaller offenses, DUI, I think is a perfect example. If you said, and I think this would be like a de-escalation measure, you know, to bring the whole thing down. You said, listen, I, you're wasted and it's fine. It's fine. We've caught you. You haven't hurt anybody. Let's take you home, but we still need to prosecute you. So you're going to have a summons to court. Now, would, do you think that that would do anything to improve the whole situation of uh, the, the, you know, these bad interactions between police and people where people get hurt or even killed? I mean, I think I think that would be a good thing. I, I, I don't think that every person that commits a DUI or commits a drug offense or whatever has to be handcuffed and, and put in a police cruiser or have a gun pointed at them. I mean, do you know what I'm getting at? I, I think reason, I think reason can prevail. I think reason can prevail. And, oh, no, it, it can. And, and don't, I truly think that it can. But and, and, as I say, due, due to our policy, you know, if if I have somebody, you know, whether I'm just taking them back to the office or not to finish paperwork, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But our policy says if you if you go in the back of my car to be to be taken back to the police, you know, if, if like if I'm if I stop on the side of the interstate and somebody ran out of gas and I take him to Speedway to get him a gas can and some gas, you know, clearly they're not going to be handcuffed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if I'm going to take in, in yet again, this is where, you know, the, the DMV or West Virginia DMV need needs to, you know, just rethink their process essentially, in my opinion, you know, for, as, as I said, for that one, you have to take them back to the office and do a couple more tests, or at least one more test, mm-hmm. to get that final piece of evidence. And a lot of people, you know, they, they understand that, but the second the handcuffs go on, they don't believe that anymore because the handcuffs are on. Yeah, well, and if, um, if I just look sense. at it from that dude's perspective. <clears throat> Excuse me. The dude's perspective in uh, Atlanta, he seemed to be... And again, I mean, this is just my interpretation of the video that's been on social media. He seemed to be very reasonable until he was confronted well, and, and with honestly, an arrest. From, <clears throat> and from what, like, I, I've watched you know, probably as much of the dash cam or body camera videos as you have. And mm-hmm. for 40 minutes, that guy was not a threat. Yeah, exactly. He literally pled he was, for. I, I he pled his case. He says, "Hey, just just let me walk home, or or just let me get an Uber, or, or hey, why don't you just take me home? I live over here." What? Like he pled his case for for a long time. You know, yeah, and he, for yeah, he, I'm not hurting what, anyone. From what the nightly news told me, it was 40 minutes mm-hmm. before they decided they were going to put him in handcuffs. Yeah. And yeah, you know, and, and, and yeah, I I don't you know yet again don't don't really know what happened. Let's just say for shits and giggles, hey, I'm going to put you in handcuffs to take you home, but you have to be in my car, so I'm putting you in handcuffs. Yeah, well, but due to his <clears> state <throat> of mind, mm-hmm. due to his state of mind, 
he doesn't process that he's being taken home. All he knows is they're putting handcuffs on me. I'm. Now he says, I'm going to get fucking arrested and I'm done. <laughs> yeah, no, right. I, I, that's, I understand that. I think that was the tipping point is that <clears throat> he somehow figured out that he was painted into a corner. And I, and I think that's, not to be honest with you, Joe, this is this is deeper into this bullshit than I ever wanted to get. Um, I I certainly don't want to paint you into a corner. Um, I just I, what I I think what I really wanted to get your thoughts on was uh, can you can you just send someone home? with some kind of citation or summons in that scenario. Hey, I that, I think that was a question well, I was asking. Well, and, and as I say, as of right now, I can't. Yeah, yes. okay. I get that. Because because I have officer discretion. Now, okay. in, 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 in that, this is, in, and this is, this is one of the things with body cameras. Everybody wants body cameras, but I don't, Am I still going to have the same level of discretion that I do with a body camera when somebody might review it? Yeah. Yell at me for not arresting <clears throat> someone that's clearly intoxicated. Well, yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and excuse body me. cameras can clearly take away a lot of the best part of my job, which is discretion. Absolutely. And I think, uh, so that's. That's going to have to come down to a change in the code, change in the municipal code oh, yeah. or the criminal code, which which may re- I guess I'm guessing which requires action against certain crimes. Um, oh yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it may be li- it may be Virginia, limits I mean, in, in any state. It may be limits your state, discretion. It would take legislative yeah. action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is, I mean, in in the city of Huntington, we, I mean, honestly, we have a very good relationship with every single community in the city of Huntington. You know, and I get that. I feel that from you guys. I mean, I haven't, yeah, I haven't and, had and any run in with HPD, uh, but I, but I hear your anecdotes, um, and I, and I see like the HPD posts on Facebook, you know seems very congenial you know we're looking for whoever the fuck broke into this house whatever um no i i I think and and you have to look at yourself like you guys are enforcing the law in a small town um now our 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 uh, metropolitan area is what maybe a hundred thousand people and that's not tiny, yeah. but it's nothing like what they're facing in uh, Los Angeles or New York City or Detroit or oh, Chicago, yeah, exactly. right? So, yeah. So, I think, um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe you can draw a comparison between Huntington Police and a precinct in Chicago, right? So, a precinct oh, in yeah, Chicago was, is only going to service a certain neighborhood, whatever. And I'm I'm certain right. that those precincts can form some kind of community relationships. Um, oh yeah, well, and and you know, in, in Chicago at least, 
in, in some of those precincts, it's got to be a lot easier to get those neighborhood relations than, you know, versus the, the precinct that has all of uh, the housing projects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan and you kind of hit on this earlier. I'm not a huge fan of defunding the police. Well, hell no. Nobody, nobody's a fan of that except the fucking crazies. You can't, the the, the fact is you can't get rid of the police, right? You can't get rid of them. No, but you know, you you got another problem. I mean, you go back six, seven years with, uh, who was it? Uh, Michael Brown on, I think, and even Trayvon Martin down here in Florida. I mean, since then, like, we can't get people to apply to be the police. So, you, you see, you know, the city of Huntington says that they haven't changed their hiring standards. But if you've only got 50 people to pick from and you've got 20 vacancies, then, yeah, you may get one or two guys that, you know, a year, two years in, you're like, hey, we should not have hired this guy. He's he's not what the Huntington Police Department wants in a guy. Yeah. You know, I... But you, but yeah, you hired right. him to fill, a, to fill one vacancy out of 20 when you've only got 50 people that apply for a 20 vacancy position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in law enforcement in general in the United States, like, but due to several incidences over the past 10 years, it's hard to recruit. Not not many people want to do this job anymore. And that's sad. That's absolutely appalling. It really is. Appalling. Um, and I would wonder, like, I, you know, first of all, my for the, the gut question I ask myself is, who the fuck wants to be a police officer? Is it someone who like who at their core wants to enforce the law and make society better and make the world a better place? Or, or is it some asshole out there that just maybe has some kind of inferiority complex and wants to exert his influence on everyone, you know, and, and, and put his knee on people's neck and, and stuff like that. So I, I think that's what the general public sees, you know, yeah. and I think that's, that's probably the distinction between a good cop and a shitty cop, right? The shitty cop comes into their, uh, you know, they go through the Academy or, or whatever, whatever you need to do. And they have, they have an attitude. They have an agenda already. They're going to just fuck people over. They're going to make up for some shortcoming they had in high school. Uh, you know, they're going to exert power over uh, people when they were um, they were made fun of or they were oppressed in their previous life. I, I mean, I don't know. Or, you know, on the other side. So that's, that would be a shitty cop, I think. But then the, the good cop is like someone who studies society, studies law, studies order, and says, you know what? I I want to make a positive impact in this. I want to I want to bring people in. Um, I want to try to reorganize society. I want to put away the bad people. Clearly, uh, but I want I want to do this in a way that, that that brings people together and reduces the amount of crime that goes on. You know, I think the shitty cop, 
the the bad bad cop they have no impact on the amount of crime that happens because people are like fuck that guy he's an asshole he doesn't have anyone's interest in mind besides his own and like they're just gonna keep doing what they do but the good cop comes in and they're like hey yeah no this guy he's he's got a a, a very righteous motivation and he's doing the right thing yeah. and and maybe we can improve our community working with this guy yeah so i think and and i maybe like law enforcement i don't know i i've said this about a, a bunch of other uh you know lines of a bunch of other professions i've said this about that, that there may not be a proper metric for people entering into it um and by that i mean so i mean i always i always draw comparisons to my field of work so you know, I went through medical school. First of all, to get into medical school, medical school, I had to take the MCAT, and I can't even fucking remember what that stands for. But I think it's like medical college admissions test, whatever. And you had to get a certain score on that to get into medical school. Okay, so then you go through yeah. medical school, and you learn whatever, or you don't learn whatever. Like, because there's good students and there's bad students in medical school, regardless of what you score on the MCAT. So, at some point in medical school, and so when I was in there, this didn't happen until the third year. But I think now it's spread out in the first, second, third, fourth year, whatever. You take you take the USMLE. That's like the United States Medical Licensing Exam. I think is what that stands for, and you take this at three separate stages in order to get a medical license. And what this says is, did you learn what you were supposed to learn in medical school? If you do not pass those exams, you may not go into additional training. Okay. So that's another, that's another screening test. And that's, that's a test. So, and then, so say you pass it. Okay. You, the, the 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 residency or the specialty that you decide to go into is going to look at your scores your passing scores on those medical licensing exams and say oh is this is this person's score high enough to get into dermatology or not or is it is it marginal enough to get into radiology or is it just enough to get into family medicine? You know, and I apologize to anyone who may listen to this. You, you, they may get offended on those specialties I picked. But the thing is, like, the high-scoring people get into the high, the, the good lifestyle jobs, such as dermatology. The low-scoring people on that get into the low lifestyle jobs, such as family medicine and pediatrics. I mean, yeah. it's just a fact of life. So I guess let me let me reel this back in on my fishing pole. So I wonder I wonder if there are like freaking entry exams in, to get into law enforcement. Does that make sense? So at medicine, there's there's entry exams to get into medical school. There's entry exams to get into your uh, residencies, and then even if then when you complete your residency, there's an in, there's an exam whether you get certified in that residency or not. And there's some people that fucking right. fail those. 
those jackasses like they they can't work where they want to they can only work in like small community hospitals and i and i wonder if there's something comparable with cops like you know and i don't correct me tell me i don't know if cop is offensive or not i actually don't know that they, i i don't believe that it is no because okay. they cop honestly you go back you know <laughs> Back to the origins of it, and it stands for constable, constable on, patrol. on patrol. You've told me that a million times, but no, I just had to pause right there because I don't know if that's offensive. But I just, what I wanted to get yeah. out there was like, I don't know if there's an entrance exam for cops. If there is an entrance exam and they get through their training, then is there another exam to get certified as a cop? Do you follow what I'm Here, saying? Oh, no, in, in, in at least at least in the uh, the larger agencies in West Virginia, you, you have the West Virginia State Police, Charleston Police Department, Huntington Police Department, uh, at least the Cabell County Sheriff's Department. Like a lot of us, you know, we, we have civil service tests. And you have to take that test and you score well enough, and then they hire from that test. Okay, so no, that's it, like it your, that your, took, your entry exam then. Yeah, it, it, but you know the the test I took, it had very little to do with actual, you know, it, it had police uh, questions, but it had nothing to do with criminal law. It was like, hey, you know, um, they, they they took reading comprehension, but just turned it into police. You know. Uh, Bobby was robbed uh, at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, he, he five hundred dollars was taken, and then you would have a list of you know, um, Jim Bob met Bobby at two o'clock in the morning at uh, the Union. Did did Jim Bob <laughs> rob Bobby? And, he, and you you would have you know those deductive reasoning, but they would turn like honestly they they would turn. I don't necessarily want to say ACT type questions, but they would turn a reading comprehension into law enforcement or deductive reasoning into law enforcement just by, well, such and such was robbed at this time at this location. Uh-huh. And then they would give you five suspects and you would have to cross out each suspect and be like, well, I mean, David could have robbed Bobby, but Jim Bob also could have robbed Bobby. I got to pick out whether it be David or Jim Bob. <laughs> That's laughable, actually. And well, I need it, to it, tell it, you, you brought up the example of the union. Did you see that the union is for oh, no, sale? I, I did see that the union was for sale, actually. Yeah, for $700,000. Yeah, $700,000. I think whoever listed that property, and I, so actually I read an article in the Herald Dispatch today. Uh, Herb actually gave an interview, and he, he, he said who he listed it with. I can't remember who. But I, I think whoever listed that has totally undervalued that business. Oh, they have. That's a business who's been in Huntington, who served the, the the university crowd, and probably the young professionals crowd. And by young professionals, I mean probably those professionals under the age of forty. Maybe even up to my David, age, forty-five. They, but that 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 bar has served this community, I think, for close to thirty years. David, I will tell you this because I know it: that uh, two people 
people that I know that are uh, close to uh, our father's age, a little bit younger, because one of them is our stepmom's ex-husband, goes there for lunch uh, at 5 o'clock. Well, not lunch, but goes there when he gets off work at yeah. 5 o'clock well, for no, a or two and then goes home. Yeah, but no, so I look at it. I look at that location and say, like, it's been here for 30 years. Uh, it serves not only like the entire Marshall campus worth of students that party. I'm not going to say it, it serves the entire campus. Right. And they have to be entirely relevant during the, during the football season. Right. Um, Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine the revenue that that place brought in. Oh yeah, well, he and, probably. I mean, let's let's be totally honest. He probably listed it with Melville Homer Cummings the fourth. No, it was not Mel IV. It was someone okay. else. I, I I cannot remember who the listing agent was, and I, but I think There's it probably was some other jag off with. Uh, and I can't even remember. I can't even remember the company. Or. I want to say it was like Realty Exchange, but I, that's probably wrong. But anyways, I, I think the seven hundred thousand dollars. If <coughs> excuse me, if uh, uh, well, not if, but when I publish this podcast, if Herb ever listens to this thing, I want to tell you, dude, you have totally undervalued yourself. The that property, that that name, that business, that brand has to be worth seven figures. Easy. Oh, easily. Easy. Um. No, I, and I've seen <laughs> I've seen this outpouring of uh, you know sympathy on Facebook and 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 just sadness that he would sell it. You know, the half the people, well, not even half, but some people are like in support of him because he says he's just tired. He wants out, and I get that. You know, if you if you're or, looking to honestly, just quit, like if you're looking to quit, like why not quit while you're ahead? Make money on, it. but I'm just telling. Money. I just want to tell the guy like you've undervalued yourself. I would, I would probably start at a million, five, two million, something like that, and people well, could bid on. David, I was talking, I was talking to my buddy. You know, not only, not only does you know he may be tired and just want to get out of it, but he may see the writing on the wall. Oh yeah, because everything's I mean, let, changed with COVID. And and yeah, that's well, and that was actually mentioned. Let's just say the governor shuts down Campbell County again. Yeah, I mean, well, no that like that was that was mentioned in this article I read today. He said that he's only allowed to operate at fifty percent, and literally the quote was, "I I think I, I have to use air quotes. It's something close to this." He says, "That's not hurting us at all." I think it, he said something similar to that in the article. 50% capacity, that's not hurting us at all. So that just tells me that there must be a gigantic profit margin there. And that business oh, has to be worth has to be worth millions, not hundreds of thousands. But anyways, yeah. it, I just brought that up because you talked about the union before. Um, but but what I what I see you know, instead of, uh, you know, and, and I brought it up earlier and you did, but instead of defunding the police, I could see on a national level, you know, let's just say like for me, yeah, I, I got hired by the Huntington Police Department. I went to the West Virginia State Police Academy, but after my year, and, and it's just like the fire department, 
after after a three year essentially journeyman with the fire department, you have to go and pass a national international association of firefighters test. Mm-hmm. And and that that's what I kind of see happening is instead of defunding the police, they all of a sudden you know they make a national. Not even, not even because, you know, federal law enforcement is totally different, but they make like a national police test. Yeah. Well, let me, let me drop this into the conversation. I heard this, um, I think I told you before, like I, uh, I consume the Joe Rogan podcast like crazy. I listen to it. I've listened to every episode for the last year, probably. He's been, he's been podcasting for I don't know, 10 years. Like he's literally on today. I think he's on episode 1530 or something like that. Oh my gosh. But anyways, um, I listened to an episode he had with this guy, Jocko Willink and probably everyone's heard of Jocko, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think his pedigree is he's an ex Navy seal. I think he's an ex Navy seal commander. And now he's in the private sector. I think he does like personal training and motivational speaking, some shit like that. But Joe Rogan had him on the podcast uh, not too long ago, a month or two ago. <coughs> and he, he said, uh, and, and so obviously he was interviewed amongst all this police unrest. And he said, you know what? If I applied this Navy SEALs training to all the police in this country, the police need to be training 20% of their time on duty because that's what we do as Navy SEALs. So we're constantly learning how to engage people, constantly learning how to de-escalate arguments, constantly learning tactics and weapons and all this stuff. He said, you know, but local police departments, they get certified once a year. They have yep. no, they have no additional training on how to deescalate and how to fucking talk to people. He said that's sad. He said that the, uh, he said our, our our police departments nationwide are so undertrained that it's just pathetic. And I agree with the they guy. Are. I said uh, they but, are. And the sad part is, David. Honestly, I'm I'm a member of probably one of the better trained police departments in the state of West Virginia. Is that based on? The time spent on training? Well, the, the time spent on training, the training opportunities. Now, granted, a lot of my training opportunities is because I have a dog. Yeah. I mean, I, I go to a lot of canine-related classes. Yeah. You know, I went to I went to two canine-related classes uh, or seminars in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. but in one of them, I, I didn't take a canine class because it wasn't offered in that, quote-unquote, time slot. So I actually went to a civil unrest class taught to by one of the commanders of uh, New York uh, NYPD. Uh, it's not special response team. I can't remember exactly what it's referred to, but it's essentially NYPD SWAT. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you know, he he did a whole thing of civil unrest and you know how to de-escalate yeah. stuff and, and it just. But it's our our trainers, the the people that train us. They go to training throughout the United States. They're very well versed. Yeah. But then, you know, we, we do at least until until everything's shut down and you know, we, we don't go anywhere for training right now due to COVID. But uh-huh. you know, we do have the opportunity to 
go to these larger conferences and see what like, you know, NYPD or Washington Metro Police Department's doing, things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so, but I think if you follow this guy Jocko's um, recommendations, so if he says 20% of your time should be focused on training, that's, so if you work five days a week, that's one day a week you're training. And oh, that's, yeah. that's not happening, is it? No. No, but, and I well, think even, that, you know, and I think it's a numbers thing. Learning how to talk to people. Well, but I think it's a numbers thing. So why aren't you training 20% of your time? Because you don't have 20% more people that, that can be at work while the, while the 20% are training. I, I think mm-hmm. that that's the issue. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a lack of funding for training, you know, because, the training opportunities are ample. They're out there everywhere. Just like you said, you can go talk to all these professionals anywhere in the region, anywhere in the country, but you don't have the time to do it because you're, you're staffed the way you are. Yeah. The manpower. Exactly. Uh, so I think that's what has to change. And then I, I personally think that there needs to be an entry exam, uh, for police. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or, or or like a personality exam or something like, I mean, you can't, you can't just have assholes be police. Well, I, I totally agree with you. And I, and I use asshole because I don't have a better word for it. Um, but like what I see on TV and, I, and again, I, I want to preface this. Like, I don't, I never see the whole story, right? You, you only, all these cell phone videos you only see after someone's been engaged like you don't you don't see any of this shit before that but so i want you to realize i'm I'm just basing this on all this shit i see in social media like i i don't want to see the assholes who just revert to okay i'm gonna beat the shit out of you put you in cuffs pepper spray you beat you with a baton blah 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 whatever like right I, there has to be people that can that can talk that shit down. Well, I mean, we always talk about the verbal them. judo, right? Yeah. The verbal well, judo, not only do you, do you talk shit to people if you're an expert in verbal judo, but you should be able to talk people down if you're an expert well, and, in verbal judo, right? And that's the thing is, yeah. and and But, you know, a lot of, like, I, I spent the early part of my career just getting out and talking to people. I'll even talk to people now. Well, oh, maybe hell not now, yes. now because of COVID. Oh, hell just yes. Get out that... your car and just talk to people. You, you, the, the younger generation needs to learn how to talk to people. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's not just emojis and bitmojis and shit like that. Like, you actually have to learn how to interact and talk with people. Yeah, you don't go on the street and talk to people and say, like, LOL. LOL in there for... And, you know, and, and that, like, you know, not because this is totally off topic, but it's just like the political climate right now. It's whoever's the loudest gets the most screen time. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, they, they, and honestly, like, in my opinion, you may think that I'm completely and totally batshit crazy, but in my opinion, both sides have great arguments. But the way that the political, political climate is right now, 
no, there's nobody in the middle that actually wants to sit down and talk. If you got Mitch McConnell over here yelling and screaming and Nancy Pelosi over here yelling and screaming and whoever's the loudest at, the, at that given time is right. Nobody wants to sit down and talk about anything and get shit done. They just want to push their agendas. No, you're absolutely right about that. And that's, and that, <laughs> but then, and but, you're right when you goes, said you have, we have digressed. Forever. The political talk is a total digression. I would just ask you to look at uh, this candidate named Joe Jorgensen. I think it's her name. She's the <laughs> she's the libertarian candidate. I mean, we've all known for decades now that the third party is not electable. But um, well, and to be honest with you, I thought under Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, the third candidate was definitely electable. But just they put up what something Johnson, like Big Dick Johnson or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this this uh, Joe Jorgensen, like she's actually a great candidate. But the thing is, nobody's heard of her. Have you seen a commercial yeah. for her ever? No, no. The only way you would see it is if you search for her or if you're registered to vote as a libertarian, because she's the yeah. she's the libertarian candidate. <clears throat> but yet again, I, I mean, and, and that, that just goes to like just neat learning to talk to people. Like nobody yeah. sits yeah. down and talks to people anymore. Like even the highest elected officials in the United States don't just talk. They all yell and scream, and I'm louder than you are, so I have to be more important. <laughs> and it's like literally just yeah, they're used to pounding the gavel and uh, well, exactly. say, point of order, point people. of order. Yeah, just treat people as if they're people. Yeah, that's yeah. what I try to do every day when I'm at work. I, I just you know, hey, I, can can I talk to you for a minute? Or you know, hey, you know, I'm I pulled you over because you ran that red light. You just weren't paying attention. Yeah, yeah, dude, you, you, and, uh, oh my gosh, I, and I'm so glad to hear you say that. I'm so proud of you, man. Um, I uh, and I and I hear you saying that. The only thing I would say, uh, contrary to that, is like, I think people are so fucking scared with anti with any interaction with the police officer. They really and truly are, and like, it's, and it's, it's not. And it's not that people are afraid they're going to get the shit beat out of them. I don't think that's the issue. Like, no one, not the average person's not scared they're going to get shot. But like, and I don't know if this happens to you because I mean, because you are a member of the law enforcement community. But I can speak from my personal opinion, my personal experience. Any time I've been pulled over for any like moving violation, speeding, or you know whatever, running a stoplight. Like if I see those blue lights go on in the rear view, oh my God, my heart rate will go up to 200. I'm sure my blood pressure goes off the charts. Like I seriously have a reaction. I'm anxious. I'm scared. Now ask me like, do I think I'm going to get killed? Fuck no. I don't believe that, but I'm just scared. And I, and I can't explain why. Because, well, you know, what's funny is, you know, as I'm driving down to Florida at near blinding speeds, <laughs> I, I'm past two Tennessee State Highway Patrolmen, or they may be Tennessee State Troopers. I don't know if they're troopers or highway patrolmen. But, I mean, it, as you said, my first instinct is, oh, shit. 
I'm going 90. I need to slow down to the actual speed limit yeah. because I too, like I, I don't want that interaction. Yeah. But I think, and I, know, I think and you can I understand where I'm coming from. You can probably understand where I'm coming from is that like, so there, there's a, there's an element of fear with, yeah. with every single interaction with law enforcement. And so I think that's the basis for every interaction. And it really, I think it really depends on the responding officer where that fear goes from that point on. So that and officer, really that, that, res, that responding officer can either, uh, you know, take that fear and, and, and totally squash it and make it go away and say, and make a person feel comfortable and at ease, or they can do the exact opposite. They can make that person go a thousand percent on the defensive to the point that they will pull a gun on a cop or they will yeah. charge a cop or they will run or they'll do just something totally irrational. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that police have to understand that about people. Cause I think that's a, that's at, at, at its, at its roots. It's a psychological thing. And that may not well, even, yeah, yeah. that may not even be a bad person that runs from the no. police. No, but yet again, in, in my opinion, you kind of, you, you kind of have to humanize it. Yeah. You know, like one, one of my training officers told me, he's like, Hey, you pull the car over. He goes, generally, you know, 90, 98% of the time I'll walk up to the car. I'll introduce myself. I'll tell them why I stopped them. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, you kind of put them at ease. So, you know, you pull them over. It's like, Hey, my name's Joe Denning. I'm with the Huntington police department. I pulled you over because you ran that red light back there. Yeah, so that, that's different from many of the uh, interactions I've had with law enforcement. Usually, oh, yeah, the, exactly. usually the open the opening sentence is, "Do you, you know, know why, I why I pulled you over?" Yep, and it's like, so the person the person probably knows why, but then it's like you're you're automatically in a defensive like, why. Well, well, it, was I exactly, speeding? Like, Do, is my did, is did my license played out? Like, yeah, or yeah, it was. I, I know I was speeding, but how fast was I going? Yeah, or I know I ran that stoplight, but is my did he notice that my inspection sticker's also out? Yeah, uh, you know, I or I I I made an illegal U turn. Is he going to toss my car and find? the gun or the marijuana yeah. here you know, like yeah so i think no what you're saying is awesome like yeah hey i'm so and so i have pulled you over for this reason i think that's a great way to open that up uh your your interaction with uh with the offender or whatever you call them at that point Yeah, that's yet again, and you and I have talked about it. You just people need to talk. Yeah, just in general, not not even you know. Just we we need to talk again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, I usually like to talk in medicine, even though yeah. um, many of my interactions with patients are not great. Um, yeah. 
Well, because they and well, on, honestly, your profession, I don't, I don't necessarily want to compare the two because you can't really. But I see people on shitty days. You see people on shitty days. I see people at their worst. I, I mean, yeah. I really do. But, but I was going to say things like I, I don't, I think maybe I'm weird in this sense because I don't see a lot of my colleagues doing this. But I'm telling you. Every patient I run into who is a smoker of cigarettes, I advise them to stop smoking. Now, I don't care what surgery they're coming in for. I don't care if it's an emergency or it's an elective surgery. Like, I literally educate people to stop smoking. And you want to know the response I get probably nine out of ten times? They don't curse at me, but they might as well say, fuck you. I'm comfortable smoking. Like, that's literally yeah. what they say. Like, it's, and they don't, no, no, nobody curses over the smoking, but they they laugh and they say, <laughs> I'm going to keep smoking. I love doing it. Like, but the thing, the way I look at it, like, I take incredible offense to that because I'm giving you my medical, my professional medical opinion. Like, yeah. I, I went and I have, I've thrown away 12 years of my life to train for this shit. And I'm giving you my best advice to quit smoking, and you're just going to tell me to fuck off. Yeah. So, like, I have a lot of standoffish uh, interactions with patients. Like, and I tell people, like, I tell people to stop drinking. I tell people to stop using uh, illicit drugs. You know, I tell people to lose weight. I literally advise people this. And people are constantly telling me, fuck you. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. And I literally heard on a podcast today on the way home from work, this guy claimed that doctors don't advise people to stop smoking. Doctors don't advise patients to eat correctly. And I just wanted to say, you know what? Fuck that. I constantly tell people to do the right thing. I was going to say that the nurse practitioner I go and see, she tells me that I need to quit dipping snuff and I need to start being more uh, more active because I'm too heavy. The problem is every patient thinks they know what's best for them and they want to say, who the fuck are you yeah, to well, come Dr. at Google, me with this? Yeah. I mean, you and I know somebody really, really well that trusts Dr. Google more than any other physician that he's ever known. Oh, dear God. <laughs> poor sam (laughs) but no like i i could cite a million examples but just just very recently this past week you know i had this guy come in and all he was having was a a shoulder arthroscopy you know the scope of his shoulder very easy procedure low risk procedure however uh he was he had uh coronary artery disease he'd had stents in his heart and subsequently he had a coronary bypass so open heart surgery and uh when i asked him further say anyone in your family have heart problems oh yeah oh mom and dad both had heart attacks both of them had stents both of them had coronary bypass and then of course my next question is do you smoke he says yes why and I said, dude, listen, listen to what's going on here. So your bo- your parents ha- have advanced heart disease. They both had heart attacks. They both required coronary stenting and open heart surgery, whatever. So clearly there's a genetic predisposition for you. And now in your smoking. So 
This is this is exactly the reason why you've had a heart attack. This is exactly the reason why you have coronary stents and why you've had coronary bypass. And he literally said, well, fuck that. I've been smoking for 40 years. I can't quit now. I said, well, of, yeah. course, of course you can. Any person can give it up any given second. And, but the pushback from all these patients is, well, why, why should I quit now? Like the damage is done. But the thing is like, I'm, I'm literally giving people my best professional advice. Yeah. And I can't even remember how we got on this topic, but like, this is one of the things I feel strongly about. Cause I'm criticized all the time. Like, well, you, you know, you, you don't do the right thing. You don't tell people how to be healthy. You only fix problems. That's what I hear all the time about medicine is we only fix problems. We don't tell people how to prevent them. And I want to say, fuck all of you. We tell people how to live right every damn day. Yeah. Every day. Uh, And I mean, yes, I do exist to fix problems and especially in my business. Like I'm in anesthesia. So I'm only seeing people when they come to have a problem fixed. Like I, I don't have any role in preventative medicine except I can advise every person I interact with to stop smoking, to stop drinking, to stop using illicit drugs and have a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. And, and I do tell them that like, I, you know, all the, Oh my God, dude, I, you know what I deal with. We we have all these drug addicts come in. They're they're either shot or stabbed or they have abscesses and stuff. And I look at these people like I'm mean, I'll admit I'm mean to people who are like this, but I think that they need tough love. And I look at people who uh, admit to injecting methamphetamine in their foot and their foot's now infected. And I look at them and say, well, how's that going for you? How's that methamphetamine use going? It's fucking awesome, mm-hmm. isn't it? No, it's not fucking awesome. You're going to have your foot chopped off. And you're a fucking loser. You don't have a job because you're disabled. Like, you literally have lost it life because, you, mm-hmm. because you're doing drugs. You know, or someone who uh, is blowing their brains out with cocaine speedballs, like... And they come in for something. I say, like, oh, well, how's that cocaine use going for you? I'm going to guess it's not going so well. Because you just got stabbed at your last drug transaction. You know, normal people don't get stabbed when they buy yeah. something. You, you don't get stabbed when you order food at a restaurant. But when you're ordering cocaine, yeah, you might get stabbed or shot. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I come across as an asshole to those people. I don't know, but I think they need it. But the thing is, I I think every, (laughs) all these drug users, I think every word I say goes in one ear and out the other. They don't give a shit. They know that I exist to fix problems. And I don't know. I I just don't like that about medicine. I I hate that criticism. Um, Whatever. And I, God damn it. I can't even, (laughs) I don't remember how we got on this on this line of thought. Oh, I was just saying, I was just saying that we have to learn how to talk to people. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I told on, you that you I, got on I, the tangent of how you talk to people. I said, yes, I do talk to people. Absolutely. I do. Um, well, I'm going to tell you what, Jay, like I told you at the uh, onset of this, that I was going to, I was going to look to you to terminate this, uh, but I'm looking at the timer. Uh, 
we've been uh, talking oh, we're, for we're like, no, we've yeah, been talking for hours. over two hours. Um, it's late in the evening. I have to work tomorrow. I know you're on vacation, so you don't have any vested interest in going to bed. Um, but I do. So I'm going to say that we're going to wrap this up. I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I mean, if you want, I mean, we can definitely do this again. I've actually, this has been very enjoyable. Well, I'm I mean, glad you had a good time. Up, um, we can hit up some of the other topics, uh, you know, about me being a father of uh, two little boys and mm-hmm. mothership later on. If, uh, if you yeah. want another episode with uh, the glorious uh, patrolman first class, J.C. Denning. Well, I want to get your wife. Uh, <laughs> I want to interview your wife for sure uh, sometime in the future. Oh, but, yeah. No, I'm just glad that you're. I'm glad that you're on board for this because whenever I've brought this up to some of our other family, they've laughed and said, Oh, a podcast. Fuck that. Or no. Well, no, no one says fuck that. Um, that's only the language I would use, (laughs) but, but no people have laughed. And I said, well, no, seriously, like this, I, this is a hobby. Um, I mean, I don't think it's taking me anywhere. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make money on this. This is you, you never know. You may be the next Joe Rogan. I could be, but no, this isn't a commercial uh, undertaking. This is a hobby. Yeah, I've got a hobbyist little soundboard here. This is just a curiosity of mine, and and uh, you know, with your permission, I'm going to put this out for public access. I don't think we've talked about anything crazy uh, yeah, like uh, off the well, charts let me know or anything. Drops so I can listen. Yeah, um, well, I certainly will, and. Um, yeah, I anticipate having some some local listeners, and who knows how far this goes. But I, I really appreciate you. Sounds like you're on board and kind of supportive about this, and I, I'm glad that you called in tonight. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the remainder of your vacation, and I want you to travel safely, okay? We will. Thank you very much, David. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Bye-bye. Bye. I may say that-